Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. David Moore, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the CEO of Blue Chip Mergers and Acquisitions, which can be found at bluechipmama.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. So let's start off and talk about your journey. How how do you get into the business that you're in today, which is basically doing mergers and helping companies with mergers and acquisitions or people? Yeah, I, I am the the last guy you would think would be an M and A guy. Um, you know, I uh, my story was kind of, I guess, off the beaten path. I took the long way. I um, started my career selling furniture actually, and I was really good at selling couches and mattresses and stuff. Um, and ended up uh, sort of going through in, you know, this was my first job. I was 17, 18 years old. And um, just that's how I learned how to sell. Um, and then, you know, got to be uh, early 20s, you know, 2021, and had an idea for a tech company. Uh, it was an advertising company, basically it was a website. And, um, you know, it's a lot easier to take a, a leap uh, when you don't have a whole lot of bills or a family and kids and all that stuff. So, um, quit my job and started this company. And before I knew it, um, we were a middle market company, 60 million in sales wow. about, about seven, eight years later. Um, didn't take it, didn't take investor money, uh, just kind of bootstrapped it. And uh, so my my 20s was spent doing that. Um, and uh, 2007 sold the company. Uh, then started another one. Good timing. Uh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect timing. Good timing. If, if I would, if I was a swami, you could see what was coming, man. I tell you what. Um, and uh, so, um, so, so, sold it. Started another one. Sold that. Start, these were kind of spinoffs or you know launchoffs of the old ones. Um, in about 2010. Um, people started coming to me and saying, "Hey, you know, I don't know what you've got going on, but can you help me look at my deal?" And just sort of organically turned into a consultant. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm what I learned was it, it was uh, a lot more fun for me to work on a deal and do the strategy and then walk away from it and never have to think about it again. <laughs> so for, I prefer the ending rather than the beginning. Right. Um, so, um, uh, so, so just it sort of fell into it. Um, I'm, I'm good with strategy and deal structure and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And um, as my, you know, as I kind of grew in the field, uh, the company grew in the field. So we started adding associates and people and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it really just sort of, sort of fell into it. It was, uh, it, uh, I guess, you know, every deal adds some level of experience um, for you and you learn a whole lot along the way, um, you know, still don't know, you know, I know a fraction of probably uh, what some of the old guys in the business know, but uh, still, still learning and still, still working on that. So. What do you enjoy most about what you do? 
I like this. I like problem solving. And so I'm, I'm a guy that, you know, if you, if you have a deal that everybody else says, there's no way you can get that done. I'm going to get that deal done. Mm. Um, I, I, I like being creative and problem solving. I solve problems that, you know, some people just kind of say, Oh, you can't do that. Don't tell me you can't do it. I'll, I'll take care of it. That's probably my favorite part. Yeah. You, you, I'm kind of that way too. If you tell me I can't do something, it's like putting a red flag in front of a bull, right? Yeah, let's figure it out, right? I mean, let's yeah, or I'll do what it takes to 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 you know get the job done. Yeah, I have exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, your company, your company, you do you represent buyers and sellers? Uh, more more sellers than buyers. Um, you know the 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 seller side. We're basically uh, there's a couple different types of engagements. One would be. Um, I wouldn't call it a fire sale, but somebody that is in their 70s that all of their net worth has been spent in the company for 30 years or whatever. Right. And all of a sudden they didn't have a plan and now they they need to retire for like a health issue or a family reason or they, they're they just done. Um, and then we've got sort of the planned exits, which you know, we'll work with somebody for three, four, five years prepping to get to a deal done. On the, on the buy side, most of the stuff we do on the buy side is going to be due diligence. Okay. Uh, you know, so making sure that whatever the sellers told you, if they're represented by somebody is, you know, accurate and poking holes in a deal. Um, you know, I'm I'm real good at I'm real good at killing deal. I'm as good at killing a deal as I'm as I am at getting it done. So, <laughs> so um, but, uh, you know, and then, you know, the 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 I guess the I don't want to call it an intermediary, but the the interesting thing is understanding where everybody's at and what their what the end goal is and maybe to help sort of you know negotiate and transition so everybody's somewhat happy uh you know what what's the old adage if uh uh it's not a good deal if everybody's happy kind of thing well you know in mediation that's what we say we say you know you you know you got a good deal when people are walking away unhappy but they got a settlement done yeah so we you know so we kind of work on that because um uh you know I, and I enjoy sort of working with the seller side more than the buyer side i've got some associates uh on on the on the team here that that will work on uh, due diligence stuff, account, you know, forensic accounting and stuff like that. Do you, is your business mostly located in the Southeast or are you all over the country? All over. Um, I would say, you know, by, by proximity, my career started in sort of in Charlotte. Um, and so uh, I would say 99% of my business is referral. Um, I don't do outreach. Um, I'm not, we're not cold calling. We're, you know, sort of cherry picking the deals that come through from attorneys or accountants or other client, you know, clients. I've had companies that I've sold three, four times. Really? Deal. Yeah. I've got one now that I sold last year that we're getting ready to sell it again. Re-up. And so um it's uh yeah, it's mostly referral. Um what do you what do you find most challenging about the business? Uh, well, you know, economic conditions are uh, navigating those um, have been more challenging uh, lately than others. Uh, you know, interest rates is a big problem um, for 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 us uh, and for sellers uh, and for and, you know for everybody. Nobody's winning uh, there. The um, you know, just to, people people forget that forget the eighties, seventies, and eighties when when interest well, rates were twenty two percent. Well, that's right. That's right. And, you know, we've been trading, you know, we, we've had essentially what a negative interest rate almost for, you know, since 08. And so we're shortly thereafter. And so uh, the, the interest rates um, are not coming down anytime soon. I don't believe they're probably going to continue to rise a bit. Um, so we're trying to navigate that. Um, what that comes down to for a seller is it's basically just coming off of the price. 
right. Uh, you know, uh, that's the, 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 the cash flow of a business has to support the debt service. And as that rate goes up, then it eats up more available cash. So, um, but you know, economic conditions are probably the most challenging. The second thing is people, people problem. Tell me about yeah. that. What kind of people problems do you face? Man, managing egos. Um, is a big yeah. And, um, you know, expectations, um, people have, I guess, um, misconceptions about what it means to sell a company. And so, uh, for example, we get, I get conversations all the time and they'll say, well, you know, Hey, you know, what, what's a multiple for, you know, whatever a tech company. Well, it's not that it's not, you know, as simple as, as that there's a bunch of different factors that go into that. And so, um, you know, overcoming these misconceptions or myths, um, is a, is a big one. Well, people Um, tend to overvalue what they own. Uh, sometimes, you know, I would say it's 50-50. Sometimes it's it's undervalued. Really? Hmm. We, there's, there are ways to find value in things that people don't think about. Hmm. Um, so we're real good at, at, at doing that. Or I'm good at doing that. Um, but the, uh, you know, the people problem um, is interesting. You know, I had a deal last summer um, and it was a it was an exit um, and it was about 80 million in value. Um, and it was three shareholders and one shareholder was holding out because they didn't want to pay the capital gains tax. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that problem before. <laughs> yeah, and so it doesn't matter how creative you are, they just not want to pay their taxes. That's right. Um, and so they would rather hold on to it and make everybody else ride along too. Mm-hmm. And then I would buy out their their partners. Yeah, and you know, deal like that. I mean, it's a bit. It's a, that's a pretty pretty big deal. It's it's a challenge. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, managing, managing people is a, is a big part of it. So how important is listening in your business? I'm sorry. How important is listening in your business? Oh, that was funny. Uh, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's <laughs> crucially, <laughs> crucially important, crucially important. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a good, I'm a great listener, but I don't take notes. And so I usually have somebody in the room that will, take notes, write down and make sure that whatever I say we're going to do or whatever the client conveyed to us that needs to be done, for example, uh, somebody has to drive that forward. And I am terrible at that, um, you know, committing, oh, yeah, you know, we can get this whatever financial projections done by, you know, Tuesday. And, you know, I'm moving on the next call. So, <laughs> you know, so somebody I have to be managed. And so somebody has to be in the room usually to make sure that my, whatever I commit to that we actually get done. So, right. So, but for you then, uh, when you're interacting with people, note taking is distracting to you. You want to be present in the moment with them. Yep. And paying attention to where, where they're coming from. Exactly. Exactly. You, do, uh, you mentioned it a couple of times. Um, Every now and then you get into you find you you see messiness like the story you just told about the three shareholders. How often does that come up? Every deal has a different problem. Really, every deal has a problem. Yep. And so we're you know uh, it's almost you know like drawing the short straw, right? Whoever's got it. If it's a finance problem, we've got somebody that's going to deal with that. If it's a legal problem, we've got lawyers that we go to to deal with that. If it's a people problem or a, a an expectation problem, it's usually me that's working on that. Hmm. Uh, and you know, I find that every every single deal has unique challenges. Um, but I think the most important part of that are solving those is transparency. Um, you know, sales, and I'm a sales guy, so a sales guy never wants to say no, right? It's yes, we can do that. Yes, we'll get it done. Absolutely, no problem. I'll find a way. <laughs> you know, and then people around me are like freaking out, like, well, did he just tell them we're going to do that? Um, and so, 
with that, though, I think you have to be authentic and transparent. And so if there is a problem, um, I think uh, coming clean that there's a problem right away rather than sitting on it and hoping it doesn't come up later. Right. Is you know, and, and that's a mistake sales guys make. You never want to, you never want to give bad news to your client. But you know, uh, so we we found we have or I found ways to package that, and you know, uh, so here's the silver lining, and what I just told you, um, I had to deal had had a deal yesterday. I hosted a lunch here at the office, and um, we've been struggling with its legacy company. It's been around for about eighty years, and the guy has a number in mind, and it's about twenty million, um, and I'm coming up with twelve. Ooh. 13, right? So we got to, we got to bridge that gap. Um, and yeah. so we're in, we're in South Carolina. So we order a bunch of barbecue and macaroni <laughs> tea and we have some sweet tea and we talk about it until we're getting, until we leave the room. Um, but, um, and you know, I wasn't able to bridge the entire gap, but I think people having a, just a transparent understanding of what's actually the landscape is crucially important. So, so in that situation, you, you sit down with your client and you say, well, this is, these are the numbers I'm coming up with and, and this is why. And and tell me tell me what you think about that. Exactly, and you know that goes back to the myth. I mean, and and there's a disconnect sometimes. So, for example, um, you know, if you have run a company for 30 years and to keep up your lifestyle, maybe you're you know 60, 65. Some some guys are 70. Um, have just now thought about retiring. They have a number in mind that they need to support that lifestyle going forward. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with value. Right. Right. And so we have to figure out how to bridge that gap. And so sometimes that's bring a part, bringing a partner in like a financial planner or even a bank and saying, hey, you know, um, we can, you know, we can do a, a special type of portfolio or there's, you know, charitable trust tax savings. There's there's all kind of ways we can get there because all that matters is the net number. The right. gross number doesn't matter. Right. Um, and if we can get there, um, it's bringing in bringing in smart people. You run, you run into problems where where people people have got their identity so wrapped up in their business that they they have they have real difficulty letting go. Yeah, um, you know it's it's it it happens a lot, and and that's not really a problem except for when there's personal relationships wrapped up in the business. Oh, right. So clients that are the you know the guys are the guys have been best friends for thirty years and. You know his his you know twenty percent of his business comes from the one guy because it's a personal relationship, right? And now um, now he's selling it. Yeah, so those you have to insulate uh, sometimes. And so if we get them early enough, we can help prep and teach them to kind of go through. You know, if we can get two years, if we can be two years earlier, we can mitigate some of that and plan around it. So um, so if people are thinking about selling, the earlier they can get to you, the better. Right. Uh, because the, it gives us time to look at financials and maybe you can make some operational changes, um, uh, to, to increase the value over Cause you know, value is a snapshot of averages over time. at right. a specific date. And so if we can help of, in, um, if we can affect that average going forward 24 months, that it can make a 10 or 15% difference sometimes. That's significant. Um, yeah, for sure it is. Uh, but you know, a lot of times people are, when they're done, they're done and they want to get out and people are impatient and, uh, there's a cost for that. So, um, so how do you go about, how do you go about finding if, if you're representing a seller, that means you've got to somehow put it on the market to find buyers. Do you have a people that people that typically buy these things? Are they, mm -hmm. um, depends on deal size. There's no shortage of buyers. Um, especially, you know, uh, after COVID. Um, you know, 
people are exiting corporate America and have been for a long time. Um, you've got, you know, baby boomers are, you know, they're at retirement age leaving. They they don't want to retire, but they don't want to work for a big bank anymore, for example. And so uh, they will buy buy themselves a job. For, hmm. you know, so those deals are going to be smaller. They're going to be 5 million or under. Right. Bigger deals. And there's no shortage of folks. I mean, I've, I, gosh, I think we have 40,000 people on my list. Really? So, yeah. Wow. And we'll get uh, 40, 50, 100 inquiries a day from people looking. And, you know, I would say, you know, not all of them are serious. Right. Um, but um, private equity, uh, you know, there's no shortage of private equity uh, groups out there that want to do deals and funds. Um, and they're captive. I mean, we know who they are. Every time we get a deal, I put a deal out this morning. I got 15 uh, call requests on the one deal from private equity guys. And so but there's no shortage of buyers. Uh, there's a shortage of good deals, though. Yeah, because everybody wants to buy cheap. Well, uh, wants to buy cheap, um, you know, wants, wants the unicorn, you know, they want to invest the money, don't want to do any work, uh, want that mailbox money coming in every month. And um, those deals are, you know, few and far between. Pretty, but pretty rare. Pretty rare. Very rare, yeah. So when you when you have, you, I, I take it then that you've got a process so that when you've got a, client that's selling a business, you can put it out there that the business is for sale. Mm-hmm. And then then people who are interested contact you, you sift through all of that, figure out who, who are the real players here that we want to talk to. And yeah, and even a step back, I mean, you know, the I don't take every deal that comes through. Right. Um so I cherry I cherry pick them and I, I do that based off of the financial review because when I'm sending a deal out, I want I want the buyers to know that I've that I've looked at it. You know, we, we're not conducting full out due diligence, but I have a very reasonable expectation that we're going to get through due diligence without any problems. Right. Um, so, and people should know from working with you over the years that when you put a deal out there, it's a real, it's a real, it's deal. a solid deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you know, um, and those guys, you know, it's it's interesting. You, you know, would think uh, there's nothing worse than what in our business, or there used to be for me or anybody, it's scary 90 days after a deal when the buyer calls. Oh, and said, uh-oh. Right. And usually, you know, I haven't had any of these types of issues, but, um, you know, usually it's, hey, you know, just want to let you know, we're real pleased with it. And by the way, we, you know, we want to buy some other add-ons or bolt-on. And so I used to get terrified when somebody would call. I'd see it on my call sheet. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is, I got to, and then I got to go look at the deal. What's going to happen? Uh, but, um, but yeah, a um, lot of, lot of repeat, um, repeat buyers, but, um, uh, you know, we work with the same folks, but uh, there's no, no shortage of, um, of, of good, uh, no shortage of buyers, there's a shortage of good deals. That's interesting. Um, I had, I was a trial lawyer for 20 mm-hmm. business and commercial law, and I had a lot of cases involving the, the, the buying and selling of businesses where things were not disclosed as they should have been. Yep. Or yep. And probably the most, the most famous case I had is where they, the partners split the business. Mm-hmm. One partner defamed the other. Wow. Oh, out of business. And that person that went out of business, Mike Klein, I ultimately recovered $8 million. That was back in yeah. the 1980s. A lot of That's money. Terrible. You would think, you know, you would think everybody could just get along and, uh, but and, uh, <laughs> not, not so much. No, there's like, you know, we, as far as disclosure goes, I mean, we use, you know, technology is a wonderful thing. I'm a tech guy. So I'm all about implementing technology and making things easier and, in our business, it's tracking. You know, we're not really regulated, except right. if we're doing capital raises under a right. broker dealer license or something like that. But 
Um, you know, selling private companies to private individuals is really is not regulated. Right. And so, um, you know, we have a, a bunch of technology that tracks, you know, due diligence requests and files for, you know, so buyer asks for whatever, some, you know, financial file from a specific time period used to be, we we would call the buyer or call the seller and say, Hey, can you send us this? And then they would email it and then we would look at it. And then, you know, now we do these file transfer things. We don't even touch the files. Really? Um, just goes right through. So there's uh, limits to any blowback if there is anything on us. Um, but, um, and, and that's an, that's an unfortunate reality of litigation because the business we're in is very litigious. Oh yes. Uh, so we just have to be real careful about Right. I mean, people are looking I litigation in your world is just negotiation by another name. Pretty much. And, uh, you know, no shortage of nuisance suits and, you know, oh, we yeah. insurance and it's just, you know, somebody in South Carolina is very litigious anyway. Really? I didn't. Oh, I thought California was very litigious. <laughs> very litigious. And so, um, you know, you want to make sure your insurance is paid up and, uh, you know, you've got you got your ducks in a row because there's a no shortage of people that willing to lawyers willing to take uh, stuff on contingency fees for nuisance. Right. Stuff. You know, and a lot of it's garbage, but every now and then, you know, there's a good case. You know, it's the uh, it biggest thing I would say, you know, in our business um, that we don't like to do is an earn out on a seller note because a seller note um, is sometimes required, but they're uh, almost never recoverable. They're vulnerable, right? That's where it's seller financing. Yeah. So if it's any more than 10% of a seller note, we just say. Uh, I have seen people crushed by mm -hmm. that. Uh, I, there's a, uh, I do workouts uh, on other people's deals after the fact. And I've got a deal right now where the seller uh, ended up having dementia, ended up in a uh, assisted living facility and 90% of their net worth was in a seller note Ooh. and the buyer found out, stopped paying it. And two, two and a half million bucks. Uh, and it was their last two and a half million dollars. Um, and uh, it's just don't, I, we just try not to do that. Sometimes you have to do it as a hybrid model, but we always tell people, you know, whatever you get up front, be happy with that. And then the rest is a bonus. That's right. It's gravy. Exactly. Right. Uh, but yeah, that all that stuff is. I mean, is, the, the classic cases I've seen is where there's seller financing. The buyer goes in, pulls all the money out, and shuts the company down, files a seven, and it's over with. Even, yeah, even, even with a secured note, there's nothing there. Nothing you can do, and um, you know, there's no. Anyway, you can get a P, you can get a personal guarantee or a PG, but I mean, you're not going to be able to go get the guy's house. I mean, you know, right? I mean, it's only as good as whatever his net worth is. So. Right. And, and they're actually insulated if they're smart. So yeah. you can protect, I don't know what the numbers are now, but in when in the day it was, you know, you could protect up to $150,000 with assets if you're smart. Free bank. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. To, unless you've got high net worth, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a ongoing struggle um, that we, you know, buyers, you know, guys that, that have money that are looking for 90% seller notes, like we're not a bank or they're not a bank. Right. So, right. Right. How do people typically finance these things? Do they have their own cash? I mean, private equity funds, I presume they have their own. They Depends have, on the deal. I mean, you know, smaller stuff. Um, so the SBA 7A program, which is the government backed loan acquisition mm -hmm. program, um, they go up to 5 million. And so you can buy a $5 million business with 10% down. Wow. Really? Yep. Um, and you, know, you have to be credit worthy and have assets to collateralize that. Right. 
Uh, but you can you can do that. Um, your typical seven A is going to be about a million dollars, and they're buying in for one hundred and fifty thousand. Hmm. So we see a lot of that. Um, those are the guys that are buying a job, right? Essentially, um, and then four hundred one k financing is a sort of not necessarily a new thing, but it's catching on because the interest rates are so high. So you can buy a business with your four hundred one k, and it ends up being part of the part of your four hundred one. Right. Um, that you know the value over time, you know, hopefully appreciates. And then you pay yourself dividends. You pay yourself salary and then dividends. And so that's a that's a really great way to do it if you have the funds to do it. And then, right. you know, five five million and up or anything over about two million in EBITDA is going to be private equity, small private equity. Um, and then it goes up from there. But mm-hmm. you know, the the so one of you know deal we worked on last year um, that we get that I got done. It was an eleven million dollar EBITDA. Uh, that was a seventy two million dollar private equity deal. Wow. So good multiples are higher too with bigger deals. Right. Right. Interesting work. Well, one more question and we'll, we'll uh, wrap it up. Sure. What, what's the one thing that we wouldn't know about you, David, unless you revealed it to us? Gosh. Uh, so I have an MBA from the McCall School of Business, but I do not have an undergrad. Whoa. Now there's a story there. <laughs> there, there is. So I was not aware you could do that because in my 20s, I was running the tech company. Right. Um, and I got involved with Queens University in Charlotte mm-hmm. and Hugh McCall endowed the business schools named after him. Um, and I was part of this um, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship leadership circle, which was about 100 top entrepreneurs in the area. And um, somebody had said to me, hey, you know, why don't you have an MBA? And I'm like, well, I don't have an undergrad. Um, and they said, well, you should enroll. And I'm like, you can't do that. And they said, actually, you can. Um, if you can take the GMAT and score high enough on it, you can waive the undergrad requirement. Interesting. And so I didn't have anything to do at that point in my life. I was just kind of floating through, you know, life. And um, so I did that. And, um, you know, it really, um, well, other than being an interesting fact or story, um, it really bridged the gap on leadership, working with other people, uh, I didn't get, you know, I didn't, as far as content goes, I didn't get any business content out of it. I got the people part of it. Right. Um, which was, you know, hugely valuable. And, um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's something that a lot of people don't, don't. Realize. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm on the chair of the board of trustees of our local law school and people don't know that you can actually get into law school without an undergraduate degree. You got to have a lot. You got to be on your stuff though. You yeah. You have a high LSAT and really have show that you can do the work, but we, yep. we've admitted people into law school without an undergraduate degree. And, and uh, you know, we s- select uh, very rare, but it happens. And yeah, they passed the bar. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, I part of the reason that I think the school did it was to throw me in. It was a cohort program. I think they were just trying to disrupt the program a little bit. There was somebody um, with some real life experience. I don't follow rules, right? I'm like the <laughs> weird, I'm a crazy guy that does whatever he wants. And so I think, I think it's not started. Uh, but it it turned out it turned out great. Sounds great. Well, this has been a great half hour. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, David. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Doug. Nice talking to you. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast. Doug Noll, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L dot com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? 
Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.